we're really excited tonight. One of the things that, uh, if you were with us this last fall, that we started doing is uh, we started a new uh, group of people. We call it our teaching team. And it's a group of uh, three people from our church uh, who are all working jobs and kind of normal people. Not that I'm not a normal person, but... You're not <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm normal either. Normal so. people, sure. You're not normal. Coming, people coming from all walks of life, different backgrounds, different things that uh, are studying, learning what God's got to say, and are coming to preach to us. So we've got three different people from our church that are part of that team. Melissa is one of them, and uh, we have the absolute privilege and pleasure of uh, having her speak to us. So for your attention, attention, and enjoy. <laughs> Save your applause. No, she Save your applause, yeah. For after, if you agree with what I think. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, it's been on my heart lately, um, just in my job, with um, some of you know that I'm a daycare teacher, I teach preschool. Um, and just from my personal background, my story, um, how important our families are and how important not only our families of origin, um, our nuclear families where we come from, but also our church families and our extended families that we build in the community. So I thought how appropriate with family day coming next week that, um, I would speak on the importance of uh, family and community in a culture that idealizes the individual. Um, so that's kind of what it is. And I should just tell you beforehand that um, a lot of this is from my own personal experience um, and with my journey and my faith story, but as well as just my interactions with people in the community um, from longings that I've heard from them and questions I've heard from them voiced. Um, so it isn't condemning in any way. It isn't meant to be judgmental in any way, but it's totally, it's, it's, it's from a heart place. Um, and also I speak about the family. So just to clarify, because it interchanges, because it applies to both. So when I talk about family, it also applies for your family of origin. So you, your mom, your dad, your extended family, including grandparents, uncles, aunts, and, and et cetera, as well into our church family because that's a huge important part of our society today. So here we go. Um, so the importance of our families in the day and age where the idealization of the individual has come to be. Um, the, the importance and the role of traditional family has played in our society has been on the steady decline for many decades now. Um, the effects and costs are now being felt, just now being felt and measured. Um, it's showing up as depression and anxiety, um, the rising rates of substance abuse, um, and also the rising rate of, of suicides as well. Um, and that's something, those things have touched my life personally and many of the lives of those around me. So. I just I hear that cry. Um, we have come to a place where our society has made this self-created self epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And this rift between us has been growing as the family unit, both the nuclear and the extended family, has been stripped from its central role in our lives and related, relegated to the back burners, or in some cases, removed completely from our lives. We have become like little kings ruling our own isolated kingdoms and living in our own walled up castles. So many of us go home or go to work and come home and that's it. I know so many people that live like that. They come home and their friends 
are social media, it's TV, it's movies, it's pop culture, it's, I know so many people, they literally come home and they turn on Netflix and they go on their computers and that's how they talk to the world. It's become a one-dimensional landscape of what people, big corporations and companies want us to know and want us to buy into. The safety that our families and church communities once provided to help us see the truth and keep us focused on what is really important are being marginalized and weakened in our society. And for many, they are no longer relevant and they are no longer seen as valuable or even needed in our lives. And this lack of help leaves us as individuals weakened and all too often standing on our own against half-truths and lies, which more often than not sound good and right to our own ears. And because we lack these communities and these safety nets on which to lean on for good counsel and redirection are gone, the door to sin is blown wide open. Isolation almost always leads to wrong thinking and sin. We live in a world that is constantly telling us that we can be anything, do anything, say anything that we want. And that if you don't agree with me, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to have a discussion about it. I can just cut and run. And that's so sad. And there are times where we do need to distance ourselves and be the captains of our own ships. I'm not saying to go completely the opposite way and just listen to everybody else. Sometimes we have to distance ourselves from family for our health, our safety, our reason, but still having some sort of outline support or community is a vital and important part of having a healthy life. People often wonder, and I've heard this question a lot, why does the church take such a strong stance on the importance of family? Well, for one, is how God reveals himself to us. He tells us exactly who he is. Um, in Romans 8, verse 14, he says, Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption and sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. He tells us he is our Father. That is who he is. He places himself at the head of our family, and he has adopted us in. And that was pretty damn cool, I have to say. Um, when I was trying to find it, I was looking up in the Unger Bible Dictionary. I don't know if any of you have read it. The definition of family is literally a page and a half of teeny tiny type like this. But I found the first line was really, really interesting. It says, the family relation is the institution of God laying the foundation of all human society. So if this is how we are to see the family as the foundation that God has chosen to build all the rest of society on, it is the DNA of our society. It becomes pretty clear why it is so important and why we make such a sticking point as a church about the family. And it also explains why the enemy would choose to attack so ferociously and so consistently this institution, both our families of origin and our church families by extension. It has been, the family has been under attack pretty much nonstop. It has been pulled down from its place as the center of our lives and relegated to the margins. It's been sidelined along with our church families. It's like a game of Jenga with pieces continually being pulled out, piece by piece. Things that families, even if you take Christianity out of it and you just want to go strictly with families, things that people think of families 
you know, things that we as Christians hold dear to our families are being just piece by piece. And eventually, the whole thing is going to come crashing down. Um, when you think about we are taught to pray as in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, right? We see the parallels at play here. The father is the head of the family, which parallels God as our role as heavenly father. It's easy then to see how a world that does not know God and therefore does not identify with him as a father can be so quick to dismiss the importance of this role. Not only the role of father in the family, but the role of the family in general. Um, and I found it extremely interesting through personal experience and through just looking at statistics in general that most often in the past, the role model that is missing in most families is the father figure. So draw from that what you will. Um, in 1 Timothy's chapter 3, uh, verse 5 through 13, we see again how the workings and running of the church family is based and modeled after the family. Um, they're speaking in regards to choosing deacons, but it says this, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the ch God's church? And then if we jump down to verse 12, it says a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith with Christ Jesus. These are just some of the examples that I chose. The New Testament is, it, in particular, is full of references to your church, the church as your family. Um, so where part of this came from is I was having a conversation uh, with uh, a coworker, and she made the comment in passing that, I, you Christians, make too much about the family and that Bible just makes it, un it's unrealistic. That Bible of yours and Christianity is, is unrealistic. You have unrealistic expectations. And so <laughs> I had to laugh because sitting down to write this, I'm like, okay. So I actually had a conversation with her after, don't worry, we, we did. Uh, <laughs> so I laughed because the Bible is probably one of the worst places, if you want to be honest, to look for family <laughs> examples of how to be a good family. There are some pretty messed up families in the Bible. <laughs> um, you don't have to look very far to see some of these messed up dynamics. Like you could start in Genesis chapter three, um, verse nine. But the Lord God called to the man. He said, where are you? And the man answered, you got to picture it. Like, this is how I was explaining it to my... There's God as the father standing up there, and there's his two naughty children standing down there, right? So God says, says to the man, where, where are you? And, and Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God goes, so who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So the man goes... The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So God goes to the woman. What is this you have done? And the woman says, the serpents deceived me, and I ate, gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So right off the bat, you got the first family in the Bible is already lying. He's already thrown his wife under the bus. Not only that, he says... God, you gave me this woman. <laughs> Let's just throw mud everywhere, all over the place. I read that and I just think, Adam, just stop talking. You know, like really, like he should. Or you don't have to look far again. We have Cain and Abel and a pretty intense case of civil rivalry, which ends up in the first case of murder. 
or we also have Sari and Abram when they went to Egypt and Abram thought, hey, it'll be a really good idea. Let's not tell the people, these people the truth. You be my sister. We'll pretend to be something we're not and we'll go from there. And I know so many families that are running around, people who are pretending to be something they're not and it never ends well for anybody. How much heartache does that bring for people? Or how about Rebecca and Isaac raising their two little boys, Jacob and Esau? I don't really like this kid, and you don't really like that kid, so we'll just you know, take our own kid and we'll go from there. Because it's pretty blatant that they had some pretty uh, obvious favorites going on in that family, and they had some pretty um, interesting arguments and situations going on. Or one of my personal favorites, the whole family dynamics of Jacob and his many wives. Don't get me started on how that works out on a day-to-day basis. I don't know. I think it would be complex and complicated just between him and his wives. But then you throw into the mix all those kids and you end up with them selling their brother to Egypt or to Egypt to some slavers going to Egypt. So not the best family dynamics are happening in the Bible. And we haven't even left the first book of the Bible yet. That's just Genesis. That's not even all of Genesis. That's like the first bit of Genesis. And I didn't pick. I haven't even talked about lots. I haven't talked. There's a lot in there that I haven't unpacked. But these are just a few examples. If you want to skip forward to the New Testament, we have the woman at the well who the whole town was talking about all the stuff that she had happening in her family. And I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> but these examples, I just bring them up because they give me hope. They show that no family, nobody is beyond Redemption. Nobody is beyond being used by God. God used these people and these families. He used them to show his mercy. They used them to, he used them to show his love. He used them to show his redemption. And we can all be used by God. Um, I love that the Bible, instead of giving us this cookie-cutter picture of what families are, it does an amazing job of showing us all the different types of families that they are. The good ones, the bad ones the ones that work, the ones that don't. Um, In the New Testament, we have Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, we never hear a whole lot about their family life. We don't know if they were married. We don't know how old Mary and Martha were. They could have been minors. They could have been ladies of, you know, my age and single, living with their brother. But what we do know is that they appear to be a close, a loving family, living together, following Jesus, and serving serving their community. And that's a pretty amazing model to model your family after. Um, we also know that Peter himself is single. He spoke on the single life quite a bit. He thought it was the better way to be. Um, he said if you didn't need to get married, that was cool. Um, many of his followers, we don't know if they were single. Like Barnabas, he speaks of quite a bit. We don't know if he was married or single. Um, Phoebe's another one. We don't know if she was married or single. We, don't, we just don't know that. Um, another beautiful example is, is Jairus, who goes to seek help for his daughter, and he goes out of his way to go and do that for him. Um, and I love that. It, it's an example of what we do for our family, for those people that we love. Um, does this lack of mention of a spouse mean they didn't have spouses? No, it just means we don't know but it shows us that maybe we need to question and be open to a broader view of what makes a family. These people, they were all following Jesus. They were all families. We shouldn't limit how we define family because as you can see, it takes all kinds. 
If we go to Colossians 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, we are given instructions for a Christian household. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That is a pretty broad definition and gives each family freedom to decide what works for them. Um, some people would say that's too much freedom, but I think that freedom that we enjoy, freedom in Christ, is, is a privilege that has been given to us. And I think that people should just keep that in mind. We should, should we aim for biblical and godly versions of family? Yes, always. But we should also leave room for redemption. The, redemption, the redemptive power of Jesus is unstoppable. It is powerful and it is beautiful. That's what our broken families need more than anything. That's what society needs to see. With love, support, and redemption, miracles are possible. Um, I believe that we are called to build family and community. It's, I think it's literally built into who we are, how God made us. We weren't made to be on our own. Um, it's, sorry, my Bible first got dropped from me. <laughs> Um, it's not how we were made. We weren't made to live on our own. God created the garden. He didn't create a garden over here and a garden over here with some people and another one over here. He, made, he created one garden and one people. And through sin, we fell and we lost that. We got booted out. And we tried it again at Babel. And we sinned again. And we got booted out. And we got scattered. And I feel, I think that's left a hole that we are still feeling and trying to fill today. I think the families that I focused on in Genesis parallel our families today so well is because they didn't have the safeties in place that were to come later on in the Bible. So what do I mean by that? Um, in Genesis, it's the very start of the nuclear and the extended family, where they are just starting to figure it all out and where we are having to figure it out all over again. Family is the basis of to human society. It's the way we define ourselves, where we fit in the world. Think of it as a set of bookends with Genesis on one side and our times now on the other side. In Genesis, they are just learning, beginning to learn to function together as a family. They don't have the protections of an extended church family. It did, they didn't exist as a nation yet. There was no Jewish people, no Jewish faith, no temple or no law. There was no moral or spiritual guidance. They were just kind of wandering around in the desert, desert trying to figure out what to do. And I think that feels a lot like what a lot of people today are trying. We're just kind of bumping around, trying to figure out where we fit in and what we're supposed to be doing. In the middle, we have, in the middle of Genesis and now, we have this building and creation kind of going in. So we have society beginning to form and shape. We have the creation of moral, the law comes, the account, and moral laws and the accountability being set up and put into play. God gives us the Ten Commandments. Uh, the law of Moses comes into to play, which to many people seems extremely detailed and restricting, but when you think about what everyone was running around and doing at the time, it makes perfect sense that they had to be told exactly how to behave and how to act. So the law was put into place to teach them and to protect them. Then we have Jesus, he comes, and he fulfills the law and brings in the church. And the church family and community, they build. We see the call to care for each other in the building of the body of the church. For example, Hebrews 3, chapter 3, verse 13 tells us 
to be encouraging to one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Or in Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 24, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be that in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Or also, sorry, that was John. <laughs> First, or in the Hebrews, Hebrews 10 is, let us consider how we may spur on one another towards love and good deeds. We have the church community's value and importance. It's, it's on the rise. It's, it's becoming important. So we move along further until we have the family unit as we know it now coming into its main role with the church family acting as an extension and support system. Then we kind of get to the 1960s and the sexual revolution and we start to see a swing back to... What we see in Genesis, we start to lose the importance of family. Family, what it looks like, starts to change. We start to lose church families, church going, and the extended family. So the things that have held us accountable again are taken away from us or changing. Um, So now we have to move away from our families and our churches helping us decide our morals, our ethics, and our values. And we're taking more and more, it's becoming, people are looking to pop culture, um, A lot of it is influenced by advertising. A lot of it is who you're hanging out with, where you're hanging out. So if we're not, as families in a church, telling our, showing our children how to be, it leaves them open to whatever they think catches their eye and looks the most interesting at the time. Uh, So it's in this vacuum that the rise of the individual has taken shape. Our families and church communities acted as these safety nets. With their loss, we have slowly drifted away from one another into our own little worlds, which, to be honest, like I said before, is at home by ourselves. We have have perfected a way of living that is all surface and no depths, and our souls are crying out. After a certain point, individualism becomes an idol. It It can become an idol. People begin to place, put themselves in the place of God, relying on their strength and ability alone. It becomes a pride issue, and this is the crux of the matter. Not only are we isolated and lonely, but it is compounded by sin. And that is a heavy, heavy weight for the soul to bear. Nobody is really doing everything by themselves. Everybody tries to, and you can't do it. I know I've tried, and I'm, I speak from personal experience that those are two things that I have struggled with in my past. I know I have tried to live under my strength alone. And... It does not work. It's lonely and it's, it's demeaning and it's soul crushing. To make matters worse, uh, we have also lost the ability to have conversations and disagree and still be friends, which I think this is such a pivotal point. We don't no longer have healthy debates. Instead, we are told what to think or how to think by what we see around us. And if we don't, and if we don't like it, we're encouraged to walk away. You don't need them. Don't listen to them. They don't like your life choices. Walk away. They don't, you, don't, you don't like what I'm saying about the hamburger I ate tonight? You don't have to listen to her. Go over here on Facebook. You'll find 50 people that think that hamburger is the best thing ever. We surround ourselves with that, that. More often than not, we choose to cut and run rather than to face an uncomfortable conversation or moment. But we are, as both parents and Christians, called to. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, we are called to preach the word, 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. That time is now. If ever it was, it is here. When you can't even have a conversation about a trivial matter, let alone a deep and meaningful conversation about an important topic. We have become a nation of yes men, the most intolerant tolerant people ever. Because don't we all pride ourselves on being, we're, we're all so tolerant, we understand, I can hear where you're coming from. But at the same time, we are some of the most intolerant people ever. And I know that from experience and conversations I've had. When you, can know, when you no longer have to answer to anybody for your actions and your choices, then anything can start to sound like a good idea. When you cut and run to the internet to surround yourself with only people who act and think like you, when you are alone at night and those crazy thoughts start running around your head, you've only got yourself to talk to because you have set yourself in the place of God and we are not God. It is so incredibly sad. It is insidious. It has been happening for so long, people didn't even realize it was happening. We are only now just starting to catch up and go, what is going on here? When did this happen? Our society has made the individual the ideal. It is everywhere. It's in our movies, it's on TV, and it's constantly on our social media feeds. But if it's the ideal, then why do I constantly hear things like, I wish I could make friends like I did back in high school? Why do I feel so alone? I feel disconnected. I don't know anybody anymore. There has to be more than this. So I just gave you a lot of doom and gloom. <laughs> and it's not hopeless. It's how do we change this? We have to actively seek out and work to build and create and foster community and connection. I really believe that's what we're called to do. So in Galatians 6, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves, or you might also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are constantly, in Colossians 3, we are told to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of us has a grievance against one another, forgive as the Lord forgive. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we are told, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So there it is. We need to practice vulnerability and accountability. And those are hard things to do. The only way to connect with people and to grow in a deeper relationship with them is to let them in and in turn to show up for them when they do that for you. We must love unconditionally and wholeheartedly to tell, us when we are, to tell each other when we are in sin and to help each other find our way back, to challenge each other, to grow each other. That's what families do. That's what families were intended to. Families were made to provide safety and love, to provide connection, to encourage and keep each other on the right path, to discipline when discipline was needed, to provide guidance, to celebrate with and be joyful with and have fun with, to learn how to act appropriately in society. I know that God has put us in our specific families for a certain reason. There's a reason that you are in the family that you are in. Whether you like it or not, that's why. And there's a specific reason God has brought you here to this family. And I'm excited to find out why. We must actively work 
at it, building and connecting. So how do we do this? So if we're inside of the church, um, and some of us are really good at that, and some of us have to work at it more. It definitely doesn't come naturally for me. I have to work at it. Um, so I'm just going to give you some quick ideas. Um, I tend to be a big thinker and think it has to be some great grand scheme. It doesn't have to. Um, start small. Um, heck, for me, going to church once a week was a really big step for me. And that's all I could do for once in a while. Don't judge yourself. Just keep taking consistent small steps. God honors consistency. Um, you might want to do something like pick a coworker or a neighbor and greet them by name each time you see them or ask them a question and remember to follow up with it next time you see them. Um, use social media to your advantage and just decide one friend that you're going to check in with once a week and say, hey, how's it going? Um, pair up. If you're nervous to, to go out in the community and do something, find somebody to do it with um, and then do it together. And if you're afraid to go out into the community and do something, start here with your church family. We already like you, and we're already rooting for you, so practice on us. <laughs> Those are just a few suggestions that you probably have better ideas than me. Um, so just in closing, we are called to be examples to our communities, to be a light for others, and to be different. If the difference people see is that our families are happy and peaceful, for the most part, then that is a blessing not only to others, but to our families as well. We need to stand in the gap for those who don't have a family or who their family isn't available for them. Leave room for redemption. Redemption, not judgment. We as a church need to be a strong, loving, and connected family ourselves before we can go out and reach into our communities to be one faith, one love, and one mind. Then our love for each other will follow us wherever we go, and others will feel it and want to know it. I love my church family. I really do. I tell people that all the time because I was once one without friends. I was one without faith. I was one without hope. And God brought me not only to him, but he also brought me to you and to this church family. And I so want that for others. My heart longs for that. Like, I truly, I love each and every one of you guys. Some of you I had just met tonight. <laughs> and those that I've gotten to know over the years and over this year. I pray for each of you, and I want you to know that all of you, any one of you, could message me or call me anytime, and I would be there for you to talk, to listen, or to help you move. <laughs> I wrote that before that even. <laughs> Luke's calling me. No, <laughs> so I just want to leave you with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 25 to 27. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should be, have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part is honored with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So go, build community, be a light, and bring our brothers and sisters home. Awesome. One of the things that we, uh, we love to do after we uh, dig into the Bible every week is just to do a bit of a question and answer. And uh, I kind of mix it up a little bit tonight. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I love about what you're saying, Melissa, is just how much it um, mirrors your story. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I kind of have a bit more of that insight knowing your story, but I don't know if we all do. So yeah, um, you talked, I love the picture that you gave in here of just that, the way that God can redeem and restore a family. Mm -hmm. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about where you were at? Oh yeah, What for that sure. looked like, where you kind of came from? Maybe start there. Is that cool? Yeah. Just um, a brief well, picture of who you are. When I, when I talk about that and the redemptive power of my, of him to redeem families, um, 
I am a single mom, and I did not make good life choices. <laughs> so I was in college, and I got pregnant, um, and I have a wonderful son who's going to be 16. <laughs> oh, he's going to be 16, and so I had a lot, and I was not, I do not come from a Christian background. I, I come from, so I had a lot of people in my life who, at that point, were like, you made mistakes, bye-bye. Like, live with it, and they walked out. People who I never thought would have had that reaction. And so I was surprised by that. Others who I totally expected that from and was not surprised by that. Um, and then I had some beautiful surprises, like my grandmother who sat me down and said, a baby is always a blessing. You made a poor choice, but I love you, and I love this baby. Mm -hmm. and, and my family just, in general, surrounded us with love. Mm -hmm. But then the church ladies that my grandma's church goes to threw me a baby shower. Mm -hmm. So just little things like that. I've just, and that was the beginning for me. And, and so I know what it's like to be in that place where you're just like, man, I have messed up so bad. What am I going to do where you're questioning every decision you've ever made? Mm -hmm and it's dark and it's lonely and you isolate, because I didn't have that, you know? And it's really hard to be that young and to be on your own and not get any sleep. Just <laughs> doesn't help it either. So, yeah, and just, is that kind of what you're... Yeah, totally. Does anybody have any so, questions about that? <laughs> no, I was gonna say, so then from there, I talk a little bit about, again, that restoration. So as you oh. came into the church and just kind of that, rebuilding of yeah. family okay, so and of community and I have, just what the last years look yeah, like. Yeah, so I have like this wonderful friend sitting over here who I've known since kindergarten. <laughs> um, and, she, and it's funny because you were living in Edmonton at the time and just God, my, I think God just put you right up there and just, um, she just spoke love over me and just without me even knowing that that's what she was doing, she would just invited me I don't know how many times that lady invited me to church <laughs> in a year probably in the hundreds <laughs> but not in a pushy way <laughs> like at all she just kept inviting and kept inviting and it was really funny so, so if you're inviting somebody to church know this because I kept saying no my heart kept saying yes there was a part of me that kept going oh, I want to say yes I want to say yes I want to say no I can't and she would ask again and it was like a long drawn out process like she kept asking and I kept wanting to say yes and I kept saying no until one day I said yes and she fell over <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I went to church um, and the community that I found when uh, we were doing home churches at that time so it was uh, smaller and not as scary although there was a lot of us still um, I was just so surrounded with love and compassion and understanding. I didn't feel judged at all. Um, it was just, I felt so, I felt God's love in the people that were in my church. That's why I say I love my church. Because um, there were times that I would just sit there and cry with what was going on in my life at church. And they would just pray over me or they would just sit with me. Um, and slowly with that and just the more I opened myself to that and I just even just sitting there and being like I was I never felt like I had to okay I'm gonna come to church and I'm gonna sit here I'm not gonna say anything 
So I would do that for a while and I wouldn't participate and I wouldn't say anything. And then, you know, after a while, you know, you know, you answer a question and little by little as I open up and I let God in, it, it changes, it does change you. It, it, it's like a light. It was like pulling back the curtains and just the light that shines into every part of my life. It changed the way I worked at, I interacted with the kids at work. Not that I was a great key person, I was a pretty happy person. Anyways, it changed the way I interact with my family, that, uh, with their families. It, interact, it changed the way I dealt with my family, um, um, everybody, the way I parent my son. It's the, everything, like, I can't even, it's hard to explain. I'm not oh, explaining this. Oh, it's, <laughs> great. It's, it's just, it does change you. And if the, I think if it's not changing you, then you need to, to let yourself be open more. And it's hard and it's scary. But the more you just kind of give yourself over to it and step out of the way, the more <coughs> redemption you will see from that. Like, totally. yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I wasn't very No, happy. that's great. I love it. Thanks for sharing your story mm-hmm. with Melissa. Um, why don't we just bow our heads? And would you pray for us as we just close, finish tonight? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are our Father that we can call you Abba. I just pray over those here with us today and our families that are not with us here today that you would just breathe life into them. Show us how you want us to go and be light bearers to our communities. Who do you want us to talk to, Lord? Who do we need to visit? Where do we need to go? Put words in our mouth and our feet to action. If we need to start small, Lord, then show us those small steps. But if you want to use us boldly and big, then we're on board for that too. Mm -hmm. Whatever you have planned, we surrender ourselves to you. I pray safe driving home in this Mm -hmm. snow tonight and that we are fearless in meeting you in the weeks to come. May we also be fearless and being community for those we come in contact to this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Melissa. Awesome job. Thank you, everybody, for leaning in with us tonight, being part of the conversation. Love this. If you have any questions or any uh, comments or anything like that, I'll be up here tonight. Love to answer anything or pray for anybody if you want as well. And uh, we just thanks, thanks for coming out on a snowy, uh, wonderful winter I was going to say Christmas Day, but (laughs) a snowy, wonderful winter day, and uh, have a great night, everybody. Don't forget to take your kids home with you.